All right, good Friday, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Weekly Whistle. Today, I am joined by a guest from the other side of the world. I have Richard Blank calling in from Costa Rica. Richard, how are you doing? I'm so happy to be with you and your audience today. Happy Friday. Enjoy yourself and prepare for a really fun weekend. Yes, it's going to be fun. It's going to be cozy here in, in the Netherlands because it's all wet and all cold. <laughs> but how is the weather in Costa Rica? Well, we're kind of entering into our dry season, and so it becomes very lush. So you get a chance to really enjoy your mornings, and then you might have some light afternoon showers. But besides that, I am living in tropical paradise, and the temperature is great. So I'm almost living a vacation every single day of my life. You know, I was reading this, uh, I was listening to this uh, podcast by, by Ted, in which they talked about paradise lost and found. And they said that the whole Western concept of paradise uh, of the beaches and the tropical weather comes from the fact that most of the Western civilization lives in more of a colder part, right? In the U.S., besides the southern states, most of them live in a colder area. So they like these places. But for people who are living in Bali, who are living in Indonesia their whole life, for them, paradise might be something like New York. Listen, if you can get me a Chinese buffet anywhere in the world and I have a full tummy line on my back, I'm in paradise. So listen, it really just depends on your perspective and what paradise is for you. Me, I don't like to be cold. So I enjoy nice weather. So a lot of paradise to me is physiological. Okay. Certain things that, that make you feel good, natural things. And, yeah. but you know, once again, being from Philadelphia originally and moving to Central America where every day is just, you know, incredible. Um, I'm living a dream. Uh, so I was very fortunate to do this. Yeah, and I'm loving the enthusiasm from it. I completely agree. It's physiological. And that's why I always say it's all, it's like a mindset game, right? It's all about in your mind, whatever you want to do. And a lot of people in Philadelphia might not have the mindset to move into a different country and start a new business. So before we get into that, I would like to start off with who is Richard Blank? Well, Richard Blank is a proud Philadelphian. I grew up in Northeast Philly and graduated the proud Abington High School that kind of got me to where I am today. You and I both come from good families, and a lot of our friends are under a lot of the pressure to go into family business or choose certain careers, such as medicine or law engineering or go to certain universities. Well, I needed to be true to myself. I didn't have the maturity, the scholastic grades, or even the interest to follow those certain decisions. And so I was a language major. I went to the University of Arizona, and I studied Spanish. I lived in Spain my junior year, which acclimated me to being an expat and moving abroad. And so, my friend, this really built on momentum. And when I was 27 years old, I was given a one in a million opportunity to move to Costa Rica just for a couple months to assist a friend that owned a center here. I don't know about you, but if you can get past your parents' guilt and you realize that once in a while you do have a hero's journey, a vision quest, that door that opens that may close. You need to make certain selfish decisions to see if you're able to build on your character. And I realized this was my only chance to slay a dragon. And I was going to take it. And I couldn't compare those to anybody because no one's done it. And so sometimes you need to be bold and brave. And so if you're capable of shedding skin, then maybe my friends in Philadelphia or your friends in the Netherlands might want to live life a little bit more and drink it and see what could happen if you put your hat in the ring. And so Really, it's just about, besides the inner, then transferring that into the outer through either art or actions or just positive energy. And I just couldn't sit still. And there was too much reinforcement for me to go for it. And maybe I was the only brave one in the Pueblo. Well, then give me that shield and sword and I'll be the one. And so... I think every entrepreneur has that in their heart. It's just a matter of taking that first step, my friend. And my first step was 18 years old, deciding to invest my life into the second language that would open doors for me. That, that, is, that is a beautiful way to say it, right? It's about taking a decision. And most people will never be able to take a decision because they're scared, because they're comfortable. And it's not necessarily that they're just, just scared. As I said, they can also be comfortable and do not want to live a risk induced lifestyle being an entrepreneur by definition means you're setting up a life full of risk going to costa rica for a few months you did not know what would happen and so many years later you are where you are but there's a chance 
that they could have you could have gone somewhere else there's a chance that other people tried what you tried and they did not ex- succeed so where did you get the drive richard to take that chance to learn spanish at the age of 18 when your friends your family were thinking law thinking engineering thinking medicine what where did the drive come from it's an excellent question that's why you have a wonderful podcast let me address your statement and then i'll once again give it back again when i was here i was prepared I was bilingual in Spanish. I always had to work on my phonetics and extended vocabulary, but I was prepared for that. I also lived abroad when I was 21 years old. Already had that in my and I had the zest for life. I had a friend that was here, so I was set up with a place to stay and a bunch of friends to start off with. So it wasn't like a backpack by myself and wishing well. It was a lot of comforts and a lot of things that were given to me for me to use, mediums to grow. And so why did I make this decision? Well, I had to be financially responsible. Imagine if you spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and never continued with that career postgrad. Or how about if I failed out? Or how about if it was too much studying to where I couldn't enjoy that sort of experience? And so there was a lot of guilt there. But when I was a little boy and we used to take family vacations, a lot of times we'd go to Mexico. besides enjoying myself in the sun i would come back with vocabulary words and those in the latino community as amongst other communities when someone shows active interest in a second language they reinforcement by assisting you with vocabulary grammar or just saying go richard go and it was the nicest thing and all i wanted to do was learn more and so in high school they gave you three languages to choose spanish german or french i chose the one that was most applicable for the cuban puerto rican and latino communities in philadelphia So I could use it outside the classroom and do dedicated practice which is above and beyond as we know and that's how you beat the bully that's how you win. And so when you have that fidelity and it doesn't become a chore and you're not studying to pass a grade you're studying to build and to incorporate and to add on it's a, it's a different game. You know it's the long play and embarrassment and pride and vanity go way out the window because you're more interested in someone that speaks the most beautiful castilian spanish to assist in balancing your bike and it's like in the gym as well when there's an individual that pays it forward will show you properly how to exercise not to look like arnold as we all wish we could but to make sure you don't hurt yourself because form is more important than weight and my spanish form was much more important than that weight and i learned that at a real young age that i could be the only one that could translate for a doctor and attorney read a contract maybe i was the only one when we went on vacation that could speak spanish in mexico and so i realized i was marketable i could get a job or maybe just have a little adventure in life little did i know that when i came here i realized that working at a call center is the art of speech interpersonal communication sight on scene so senses get expanded i love rhetoric i love script writing i love rebuttals i love adjustments of tone and positive escalations i love studying the metrics and kpis in our qa department because there's a system behind it i mean just like psychiatrists will tell you how to be nicer to get dates I can tell you ways to prolong conversations to convert more calls and to make more money and it's not by hook or by crook. We don't lie or steal here. What we try to do is to educate and to use certain soft skills to reduce any sort of defense and take that matter and move it into a forward motion and and these are the sort of things that I discuss with the agents that are here. I I always want to make them more self-reliant and won't compromise their ethics. And maybe that might be one thing my friend we can shatter those misconceptions of a call center that all we do is sling stock and do sweepstakes and Glen Gary Glen Ross boiler room not not all of us are in a living doing things like that. Yeah. No, that we will get into uh call centers because I also have a lot of family friends who worked in call centers who still work in call centers because <laughs> Pakistan also is a is a hot spot like India for yes, having a lot of offshore call centers you might know that more than me. So we will get into that before we do that i am quite quite curious you were into spanish so much and you are enjoying your mexican vacations i will talk about uh, costa rica with the whole new business thing that we're going to discuss but i am more curious about spain as a 21 yes. year old you're in a new country 
don't know many people, might know a language a little bit. How was that experience? And do you have a story that happened in Spain? I can't give you a rated R story. <laughs> I'll give you all the good stories. Let me just close my eyes and take a deep breath of the greatest year of my life. When you were a child and it was a Sunday and you'd rather be playing with your friends, your parents usually wanted to bring you to a museum or something educational to teach you, but you don't want to do it. When I was in Europe, I had the opportunity to see some of the most amazing artwork, architecture, and culture in the world. So I lived and I lost sleep because I was living as much as I could. And when you're 21, you're clicking your heels and living life with beautiful hair and youth and, and just energy. And I made sure amongst every party and every good time that I visited every church that I could and every museum that I could, because nine out of 10 people slept in, avoided it, made excuses. And I'll just catch you in a couple hours. And, and that was the time that I realized that I was enjoying the arts and I was appreciating the beauty of life and seeing these sort of things. And then when I was just living Spanish by being there, I couldn't fake it and I couldn't excuse it. I had to do it. And so it was an excellent way to hit a reality check that you need to improve on your skills and maybe take it a little bit more serious because not only are you paying the money, it's the it's the real dedication. I want to come back with something. And then I bought a scooter at a Vespa and I took classes to learn the Silviana and I was going to carnivals and running with bulls and going to certain beaches in Andalusia on the coast of Del Sol, traveling to Northern Africa, Morocco, riding in a drone every day, having 54 five-minute conversations with people from all over the world. So I realized that things I grew up with in Philadelphia had nothing to do with the world. And all I wanted to do was learn and make friends and smile. And I learned a lot of universal rules about energy and about vibration, about how you treat people. And so you were asking something earlier about being homesick or being scared. Absolutely not. Because if you're going out there shining, then all you're going to do is attract happy. I mean, sure, there are bad people out there that may take advantage of it. Just, you know, pay attention to your surroundings. But I can't tell you how many people have invited me into their home to have dinner at their dining room table. And you know that is undoubtedly one of the greatest compliments you could ever get from anybody. And then you're surrounded by grandparents and uncles and aunts and everyone's asking you questions and you're showing interest and And I just wasn't a goofy 21-year-old kid anymore. Yeah, maybe sometimes. But I really grew up that year. I, I really learned different manners and culture. And I learned to really smile because life taught me a lot of different things that I just wasn't aware of. When I was growing up in this sheltered life that I had in Philadelphia, which was beautiful. It's fairy tale like And it's, I guess, things people strive for. But what's amazing is you don't swim with your clothes on. There are certain things in life you need to do without anything on so you can experience life to the fullest. So I don't know how to explain it, but I needed to shed everything that I had up to that point to see if I could start again. Yeah. And if I could do it in a certain way where I can incorporate this stage of my life with my past stage and grow from it and It's just one of those moments in life where you make those sort of decisions. And so it just hasn't stopped. And that's why it added to the momentum of where we are today. I, I, I love the story you said about how you grow as a person. You become more aware of manners, of culture. I myself was born in Saudi Arabia, but was raised in Pakistan. Then I went to study in Turkey had different, different cultures in my life that I explored. And then what happened after Turkey, I moved back to Pakistan, then moved back to Turkey for working and then moved to Holland. Now I've, this, I've experienced five different countries at this, at this age and so many things, so many stories. And that's what we, we are storytellers at the end of the day, Richard, right? All we have is beautiful stories we can tell people, beautiful experiences we learn from other people. And, It really hits home how, how you say that you are sheltered when you're back home. 
And that is true. You are sheltered. I was sheltered when I was in Pakistan. We were living a very posh life because mm-hmm. their labor is so cheap. You don't need to do anything. You go to That's Turkey, right. you realize no one's going to wash your dishes. You realize <laughs> no one's going to wash your clothes. That's you right. realize mom isn't there and you have to do everything yourself. And then suddenly mm-hmm. you have to grow up. You have to realize that, okay, you have to do shit yourself. It's, That's it's right. the time you have to grow up. And taking that learnings. So you're 21. You did this in Spain. You come back and you realize, you know what? I had so much energy, so much wonderful experiences living in a Spanish country. You know what I want to do? I want to go to Costa Rica. I want to build something there. So tell us a little bit about how that happened and what happened in Costa Rica. Who knew that I was going to build something here? I was a Spanish major in college. That's not a business major. So when I worked at my friend's center, it was only supposed to be for 60 days. And so when that 60 days came up, I sat down with them and I said, may I stay? And he goes, I was just about to give you that offer. And I hugged him and I said, yeah, I knew it. So then I had to call my mama and say, hey, you know that apartment that I have in Scottsdale? (laughs) I think I got to fly home and put it into storage because I had no idea how long this was going to last. Little did I know that storage lasted for longer than I'm going to tell your audience, but I shipped it all down eventually. I learned the business from the inside out, not at sea level. And so when you sit with the people, it was almost like my graduate school. I learned retention, customer support, sales. I learned the labor laws, human resources, training, onboarding, and I loved it. But I also learned the number one secret in the world. It's, it's dignity. You hear the gripes when you're sitting in call centers, especially you and your family. You understand if you're treated like a number and you feel expendable and the metrics are very much out of reach and the morale is low. People want to quit or they don't feel good. And so I realized that it's not like forcing a soldier through distraction or the occasional pizza party. I realized that by extending advanced English and really focusing on vocabulary for diplomacy and strategy, besides giving them their dignity, just not on one day giving you a high five, but actually breaking bread with you. And in my case, my friend, I collect pinball machines and Retro arcade machine. So I'm old school. I'll play pinball with you in the in the game room so you can let off steam and recharge batteries. Like friends in other departments. I don't know about you in Pakistan, but I'm sure you had recess when you were growing up in school. And it was the greatest time to go outside and play with your friends. And so I want that here. And I'm the boss. And I decided. You can decide what you do on your breaks. But I will give you a medium to enjoy. And I want you to do it. Or if there are certain sales meetings or follow-up meetings, we will have it in the game room because it's very easy for you and I to speak over a game of air hockey. doesn't move. All it does is just heighten the excitement. And so I always believe play reduces stress. It increases bonding. Some people can just snap back into it when they've lost it a little bit. And it's just, we're old. It doesn't mean we're serious. You can still have fun. And so I think it keeps you youthful and it keeps the environment lively. And so I learned that real fast. And so my culture is pretty much made around my plaza. You know how they build towns around the center square? My center square is the game room. (laughs) And then the rest is the call center. Because if I try to compete against Amazon and the big boys, I'll get swamped. The only thing I can beat them on is raw culture. And true sincerity and being 3,000 miles away from my mama and showing these people that I'm paying it forward by giving them employment and, you know, feeding families. Um, There's only so many meals you can eat, my friend. And golden jewels lose its luster. So what you then want to do in life is pay forward that sort of energy and stability so people can handle the challenges that they may have outside the office, which may be affecting their mindset and their drive. I understand completely. So you worked a little bit at your friend's place or a long bit to learn everything to learn through four years. And then through that, you learned everything. You learned the, the ropes and understood the game. Then you went on to make your own thing. Hold on for a second, my friend. Are you skipping steps in my life chapter? I learned everything minus sea level. Mm, There's no engine to that car now. Looks great. So what did I need to do? I didn't have the time. 
but I had the capital. So I hired specialists, chief technical officer, attorneys, accountants, human resources director, and promoted certain individuals to supervision. I needed the branches and the roots for that sort of growth. I couldn't skip that step. And I couldn't take it all myself because I would not be doing the correct things or making mistakes. And so finding the right people and to delegate and having that sort of faith has saved me money and really kept my business where we're celebrating our 16th year. And so slow and steady. When I first started, my friend, I was renting a turnkey station at a blended center. So it's almost like an internet cafe. There was no privacy, but I could pay the overhead, make my margin in the taxes and this agent salary, and I could scale accordingly. And then after two and a half years, paying premium for that seat each month, I had enough stable clients and enough capital to where I took those accounts, rented out space and bought used furniture and used computer equipment because there are turnovers in companies and I'm not buying used clothes. I'm buying used equipment, which like a used car, sometimes it's a good deal. Used computer, you tell me. So I was able to scale quarterling for a fraction of the cost. After six years of that, I was able to have enough capital to purchase a building out on a third floor and to equip it so I can put 300 seats here. It's not the fast way. It was exceptionally slow and steady, conservative with money, cash only, no loans or mortgages or extensions of credit cards. I want to sleep at night and not make rushed decisions because of desperation. You don't do things like that. You will compromise your ethics on that. And so, so one in a million shot, it hit. But I tell you what, I was betting on me. And if you're willing to go all the way on certain things, it, it could be one of the best bets of your life. It's, it, it's, it's amazing and it's, it's commendable that you took that one in a million shot. I'll be honest with you, I'd be shit scared <laughs> to bet on myself so much. I always feel like, yeah, I want to do something. I want to open up a restaurant here, Richard. Once I get enough capital like you, my plan is to open up a restaurant here. And I know there's, it's going to be difficult. We're going to start with a food truck. But why can't we start with just making some stuff and going to a rock concert outside and see if you can sell all 10 or going to the park on Saturday and see if people like it? Yeah, Um, But, you know, when you ask those that have made it what their favorite times are in their careers, it's usually not when they're sitting on top of their money, licking their thumb and counting the bills. It's, It's usually that first rock concert where no one showed. Or that day it started raining on a Wednesday and you were knocking on doors and you haven't made a sale yet, but you wanted to keep going. It's almost like thinking the metaphor of dancing in the rain. I mean, are you capable of ruining a suit and dance in that rain just because that's what's happening to you that day? It's, I believe in romantic deaths and jumping clouds. You should be able to always preserve yourself. And so if you can give a good solid first impression, regardless of the outcome, my friend, then I think you're doing the greatest thing. And however the bingo balls go, that's just how it goes. But you're a good man. And I think people have destinies. And I don't know you well enough to make that sort of decision on what is holding you back, but everybody has a 10% demon. And if you're able to release weight, you rise. And I don't know where that comes from. And, and for me, and, and I came from a beautiful family, but I had guilt. And that was the weight that I had to release. I couldn't go into the family business. I couldn't follow in my father's footsteps. I couldn't go to Harvard Law, Columbia Business, or Washington and Lee. These are amazing schools. I wasn't even close. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And so I had to realize my destiny. I wanted to know where I was going to go. And I'm not a black sheep. I'm not a rebel don't break windows and I don't get in trouble. But don't you dare hold back my shine. And don't you dare hold back my energy. If I am really believing in something that is the most beautiful thing to me, you should encourage it and you should preserve it because it's very rare that you find something like this. God, I'm willing to die with my boots on. And that's a scary thing to think as well because you make yourself vulnerable. But look what happens when you explore that cave. You might come out a prince with riches. 
And I would never have forgiven myself, my friend, if I never took that chance at 18, at 27, at 35 when I started my business. Come on, man. These were checkpoints in life. When you look in the mirror, my friend, and you size yourself up. Dude, no matter what I say to you or your best friends or family, you know your moments of clarity. That's when Ahad's with itself. Looking at you with your nice beard and hair. I hate you for it. <laughs> that, that is exactly the thing. I loved what you said. Two things I really liked about what you said. That Tell me. Going back about hiring people who are better than you in the things that they can do and That's having right. the humility to accept that. Because not many people would be able to do what you did, Richard. They'd be like, you know what? I'm the boss. I can figure it out. But the fact that you surround yourself with experts and understand that they can do this better than me so I, in the end, can do my end goal of, of running a business and feeding families. How could you yeah. accept and understand that? That's question number one. Question number two is to understand from my aspect when you are running this business and it's taking long. It's taking long, Richard. I'm doing this podcast for what, like six months? I'm doing this new thing for like a year and I'm tired. I really am. So how do you keep the gas running? These are my two questions for you. It should never be a forced march. If you work out in the gym, you understand the burn and the recovery. How many languages do you speak, my friend? You understood how long it took to be able to master English like you did. I mean, so... Look at those that have learned the violin or masters of painting and sculpture. The self-doubt is never there. And I understand being tired. Well, that's beautiful. It's because you put a lot of energy into something and you should. At the end of life, you should be exhausted because you've put as much out there as you're getting back. But don't you dare sit in your house and dream. If you do that, I'll be exceptionally disappointed in you. I want you to be tired, my brother. I want you to come home at night, but not with the tail between your legs. Once again, exhausted because of all the dragons that you slayed and mountains that you scaled. But I didn't make money today. You're not supposed to make money any day. Money is just whatever you want to make it as. And if you think about it, if society collapses, money is worthless. Now you just want food. So let's, let's not even go there or even discuss that. I'm not going to judge you on how much money you have. I'm going to judge you on the things that you do. Your audience should only know the nice email that you sent to me this morning prior. Just saying, hey, Richard, how you doing? Really looking forward to today. I wrote you right back. Hey, buddy, I'm ready to go. Man, we're already starting. <laughs> we're already starting with momentum. We're high-fiving already. You've won the game of life. There will always be someone taller than me, runs faster than me, jumps higher than me. Has, has more hair than you. Has more hair than me. But the most important thing is me, me. If I can do the certain things to make my circle complete, then guess what? We're all good. And, and to get back to these specialists, I know my wheelhouse and I know where I belong on the team. I believe in right bus, right seat. I might run the show, but I need other people with me to grow this thing. And so I get the respect of my crew because of my script writing and my training, my due diligence and my relationship building. So, so I have my colors as part of this crayon box, I can contribute my way. Now I also have the drive and the intelligence to get us here. Give me points for that. Whatever. I don't even care about that. That can be taken away at any time. So I, I think that when you have somebody that's been with you over a decade, huh, that's when the market speaks. And when someone has been with you for so long, what do you say to that person? I know you give them a paycheck and they work for you. No, they don't, man. At that stage, they work with you. And in fact, it's not like you're working for them, but there's not even that working relationship anymore. You've supported that family for 10 years as much as they have with you. What more can you do? And what I try to do is to meet their family so I can tell their mother how amazing they are, or if they introduce me to their beautiful wife, let them know how incredible their husband is. Or when I meet their children, to let them know that daddy is a hero. And I, I believe that those are the sort of things that you can't write a check on. And even if I wasn't their boss, and I just saw them in the mall, and I was just a friend or just someone they met around the way, I would still be... 
paying the compliments and trying to make somebody's day. Unless you have suggestions, my friend, I'm just trying to think of more things to do sincerely and naturally that these people will never forget and that will separate me from the other bosses that they had. Culture, basically, right? You want to build a culture of being irreplaceable yet replaceable because you're like, this culture is me. I believe a good organization is an organization that can work when you pluck Richard out of it, right? Because Richard has built such a system, such a culture that they can, they can keep running without Richard being there. And that is a testament to Richard's, Richard's ability to lead a team, to build a system. And that when you comes call the with, balls and the strikes, when you adjust somebody's tie, I just didn't hand it over to them. There were a lot of tests that I gave where I spoke second. I got to see their decisions first. And then we discussed why certain decisions were made. And so I always ask everyone's opinion before I give my own, because there's a very good chance they'll see something that I do not. And I'm not saying I'm the most learned man. I have a different sort of education. But I think that if we all put our ideas on the table, and these are people that I trust, then there's a very good chance, once again, we'll make the right decision, of course. But um, being humble I mean, these titles are incredible, and I, I think they mean nothing. I, I really believe in, once again, someone's journey to do more than just, because I started a business, right? I have employees, I have the parking spot and the office and the title and all this. It's not as juicy as you think. It's really not. I mean, I had more fun when I was on the phone with my buddies back in 2000 and 2001 making cold calls off the Cisco phones and, and having fun with them. It was much more fun then. It was magical then. No one really had cell phones. It was the last stage before the cell phone thing that came in. And so, um, you know, I guess I'm old school, my friend. I just want people to extend soft skills and to constantly be working on their ability to communicate properly because it's all chat and non-voice support and people are always pressing zero. Come on, they want to speak with somebody. We, we want to upsell. We want to retain. We want to get a referral. We want suggestions. We want to really cultivate this relationship with the client, my friend. That's, that's why you don't want, really want to look at those metrics of a 10-minute talk time. What happens if Ahad and I are on the phone for 15 minutes? That's my main man. And so don't, don't rush me when I'm trying to give this gentleman the best service that I possibly can. And since his name is exotic, I might want to use the military alphabet to ensure that I'm spelling his name correctly. And so you wouldn't be offended by that. You'd actually be complimented by that because most people assume that they're spelling your first name and last name correctly. When I want to ensure that the email doesn't bounce back, and that when I'm complimenting you to your boss or your co-workers, I'm saying your cool name properly. So I get all the points, if that <laughs> makes any sort of sense. It makes all the sense in the world. And I really admire the culture that you build. But I have a question of how can you build such a culture? How can you bring so much humanity and life into a place that wasn't even yours to begin with? So what were the challenges that you faced when you moved here and you made Costa Rica your home from the social aspect of it? How did you make friends? Were these friends from the States? Were these Costa Ricans? Were these other people? Were these students? How did you make your mark and build your community down there, Richard? The community of people who invite you into their houses, they ask you, they give you the highest compliment they can, they give you their food. How do you achieve that at the age of 21? When you arrive. Well, you know, it's the most interesting thing. Coming to Costa Rica is almost like going back in time. Neighbors know one another. They give kisses on the cheek to say hello, which I always thought was very nice. And so to me, you had to say hello to everybody that was on your street. You had to know everyone's name. So you're almost forced into it. If not, you know, it, it, it's uncomfortable. But um, water seeks its own level. I gravitated towards certain activities like the gym. And when I first got here, I was going to all the museums and national parks in areas of interest. And so I was finding those with similar interests. And so it's just a natural filter of finding people that way. And so little by little, you're getting phone numbers and email addresses and realizing who's living here and who's just traveling here. And, and you start making your network of friends. 
but I've also learned to avoid certain types of people. I mean, this is a tourism destination and I think it's great, but also some people come down here for different types of excitement and distraction and unfortunately give us a bad name if they don't follow certain rules or are disrespectful. And so you need to represent yourself in the best light. And I can't really compare myself or judge myself to someone else's experience if they didn't come here prepared with Spanish or knowing the rules and just thinking that people were beneath them or just something that they're there for just entertainment. And so maybe I shatter that sort of misconception by asking additional questions and follow-up questions for clarification, right? And insisting on, as you would say, washing the plates in the kitchen with the mother, you know, where everyone else is chilling. And they ask why, and I say, because that's how I was raised by my mother. And so then they start asking questions about how I was raised. And so these are anchors. Aha, these are bridges. And you do it carefully. And you just wait to see the signs of when you need to, you know, make that sort of connection. And so it's, a lot of it is just active listening, my friend. And what if you don't most, understand something, you know, look it up. One of the most difficult things for me is active listening. And one of the most difficult <laughs> things for me is uh, networking and relationship building. So I have a lot to learn here from you. So as you said, the relationship building is your is your technique, is, is your wheelhouse. Building a large network of people uh, who trust you, who you trust in a new country like Spain, like Costa Rica, even back home in Philadelphia, it comes sure. naturally to you. What advice I, can you give us? Or if not, sure. or not, but what advice can you give us? to well, us? Well, the natural part, my friend, is the balance, but I, I'm not a mentalist. I, I don't know a lot of things about somebody unless I've done my due diligence. And if you're going to a cocktail party or a business meeting, besides learning your name and your position, maybe look up if they have a public Facebook profile or a LinkedIn profile, some of their interests, do they play golf? Do they travel? Where do they go to the university? Where do they grow up? Do you know a little bit of something that's different than what most people are doing? And for me, I like to learn names of individuals that work in their office that might have transferred me to you. I'll give them a positive verbal escalation, let you know that your assistant's incredible. I'll also do it in writing. So when I call your company back, they thank me for that compliment and give me more company culture. None of, none of these are forced fits. These are, these are woo ways. It just slides into where it needs to be during certain parameters and time frames. And so I, I like research of people. Mm -hmm. So I can find two or three things in common because I hate small talk. Small talk's all right. But it's always fun to have cool things to talk about with somebody. And um, that's assisted me when I do custom make emails or voicemails for individuals. At least what I'll do is, as they say, uh, leave a lasting impression so that A, they remember me or B, might actually have the interest to continue a relationship with me or to touch base with me or recommend me. You know, I, I just don't want to force someone to like a video or subscribe to something or have them on a mailing list where they want to unsubscribe. I, as I say before, people are black and blue from so much contact and communication you almost need to be the flower in the desert. You, you got to show them that you are unique in a certain way. So at least they get out of a trance and give you at least 30 seconds to a minute to make your case or Indeed. to yeah. at least try to talk to somebody. I, I think that's, that I've heard it from so many people, these, these advices of, oh, research, bring, bring in something special. Now I researched something about you, for example, and I find out you lived in Spain, for example, I haven't yeah. done it. I, I lived in Spain and I started talking to you about it. Oh, I, I saw that you lived in Spain. Would that be amazing? Or would that be stalkerish? How do you draw the line and how to contact someone about the research that you've done? So how would it be an example? Could you tell me how would you talk to someone who you just researched? How would you make a conversation deeper? Well, I would 
like I'm, I'm trying to touch base somewhere on what they do. You know, I think it's through the tone of voice and it's also the timing. I can't be calling you up talking about your golf game. You might be very busy. But what I try to do initially is I use my anonymity and I'll do a company name spike. So at least I'll say the name of the company better than the person that answers the phone to snap you out of something. So I'm saying before, a lot of the times telemarketers get we're good thanks or they're not even listening. They're distracted. I, I need at least a chance to pitch. But I'll let them know that I took the time to. I found this interesting. Hey, aha, you know what? What, Richard? Guess what we have in common? I mean, come on. You can have a little bit of fun. You can buffer this. Because if you're doing some angling talking where question, answer, question, answer, it's like you're in trouble in school and there's no straight lines in nature. I like half moons. I like curbs. I think you need transitional sentences. You readjust tones until you anchor in two or three things we have in common. Okay? Just to at least let you know that I'm a real person. And then I can properly introduce myself again and let you know my intention. And so when people carpet bomb and they read script, they'll get their numbers, but that just tears you up. I mean, it's like road rash. As I say, I I think you need to be an artist and I think you need to really enjoy every single call that you make. How about this? Within the first minute, if I can anchor with somebody, I don't worry about the rest of the call. It exists. If you're forcing a fit, you're flinching for the hang up. There are times people ask for clarification, ask follow-up questions, supply me additional information I never even would have asked for. And I only did in the beginning. Let's, let's use me as the example. Someone calls me up and says, hey, I heard you love pinball machines. I'm giving you two minutes. You mentioned Philadelphia. That's another minute. The University of Arizona, that's another minute. Why? Because that's me. I I, kind of know the mindset of my time as a telemarketer and and how much people pitch me. And I want someone to say my name with conviction. You need to say it where you've known me and we're best friends, you know, because I think that's the greatest way to bring somebody back in on their attention span. And People are very afraid to ask open-ended questions. They'll say, hey, aha, what, you know, do you like ice cream? Why? Well, like they say, what kind of ice cream do you like? You double and triple the answer. Eh? Yeah, what kind of ice cream do you like, by the way? Chocolate. You like chocolate. Good. So I got the yes, he likes ice cream. Then I got chocolate. Do you go one, two, or three scoops, my man? As many as I can possibly. <laughs> <laughs> How do you prefer to eat it? In a cup, a cone, or what's your what's your mannerism? Oh, I, it depends. It depends on the audience, right? If I am in front of people, we go with a cone. Be nice if at home. We go and my final question, and the most important: What are your toppings that you put on your chocolate ice cream? More chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> I like to make camp, and I like to ask as many follow up questions so I can take copious notes because I might be able to find ways to dissect the call for your interest levels and where you need, and you might even answer some of my future questions. And so uh, it's a dance. It's a dance. That's a very nice Mm -hmm. way to put it. I really agree. I think it's, it's a gorgeous way of putting it. And we've been talking about telemarketing the whole time. We're talking about that's basically your business and the whole experience of it. So we're coming into the end of a conversation. So why don't we tell the listeners a little bit about what, for those who don't know, which is very rare, what telemarketing is, what niche are you in, if you want to share. And then I want to go into this beautiful pay it forward system that you have set up for yourself. (laughs) I I could see it myself. When I talk to you, I hear it. You love paying it forward. You love being able to distribute what has been given to you, what you've been blessed with, what you've worked for. So there is a Richard Blank Scholarship. So why don't you talk to me a little bit about telemarketing first, what you work in, where can people reach you? And then I want to end with the Richard Blank Scholarship. Telemarketing. Nine out of 10 people hate telemarketers. And the one person that doesn't hate telemarketers is a telemarketer, so they can't really hate themselves. (laughs) What an industry. What a crazy industry. Now, it hasn't existed for thousands of years. It's still pretty new. But um, 
it's really a means to an end. And I think a lot of people have given it a bad rap and Hollywood has made some millions off of these movies of slick people slinging stock and saying reco and closing deals with their Ferraris and stuff. And, and that's cool. I, I look at the art of speech. I look at rhetoric over the phone like fire. You could use it for enlightenment, for life, for heat, warmth, transfer of power can also use it to burn somebody. It's a skill. It's a wicked tongue. And you have to be very careful of what you do with these skills. Now, I preferred retention, customer support, and enhanced experience. So I never compromised ethics. I never took accounts that would, in this strict Catholic country, make someone feel bad and not be able to go home and tell their parents what they do for a living. So I was very selective. I didn't have to earn a dollar that way. But I believe that if you're properly prepared with a script, rebuttals, a great calling list, a quality control department to give you coaching, right? Going through certain checkpoints and really working on a phenomenal phone call, you can find fulfillment in it. And if you're really good at it, you won't burn out. You probably make a million dollars doing it. And so for me, I, I never really lost the love of the art of speech, especially if someone that's bilingual bears the mark of higher education. So imagine getting that ROI on their education, that intense concentration while they're translating and making the sort of relationships with people in other cultures. I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So when I walked through the doors for the first time and saw my friend's call center, it really opened my eyes to the potential of this industry. And so we have the infrastructure, there's predictive dialers, we have the CPUs, the headsets, I mean, it's amazing what we're capable of doing and the fact that we survived during COVID so people could work out of their homes, be hybrid, and still continue to survive was a blessing. And so I'm not complaining. The only difference in this industry, my friend, is more people are virtual compared to on-site, which kind of loses the synergy that you might have been able to build back in the day. Yeah. But, um, you know, you sell your soul sometimes. And being a telemarketer, you it's really not for the faint of heart, especially <laughs> if you're doing 40-hour work weeks, making or receiving phone calls. But as I say, my friend, if you can develop those advanced soft skills outside of the office, you'll have some of the greatest networking. You'll save family dinners and marriages and, and really be able to be a solid communicator. So I, that's what I, telemarketing I, is, yes. I understand. I, I, I agree with you 100%. We, as a species, we're losing the art of speech thanks to social media, internet, and not being able to have nuanced conversations. And yes, most telemarketers, as you said yourself, do not really adhere to the rules that you have in your business, right? They are there to just sell, to read, read off scripts, to not really build relationships. They have options. Uh-huh. And they chose to either work at some place that's gray area, shady, illegal, or they're yeah. just not satisfied. They're just not satisfied. Yeah, that could be the case indeed. Yeah. And that is why it is very interesting to see a business of telemarketing offering scholarships, a person in this industry offering scholarships. So I'm very curious, why are there scholarships offered the Richard Blank Scholarship, and what they are, and how can people apply for it? Excellent. Well, I I think there might have been a miscommunication there. The scholarship that I have is my alma mater in Northeast Philadelphia at Abington Senior High School. I do a second language scholarship for a graduating senior that's planning on studying a second language at university level. And so, unfortunately, my friend, I don't have a call center scholarship here. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I did not accept that. I I, I expected it to be a scholarship in general. I did not know any details about the scholarship. Oh, yeah, but it's, I paid it forward. And and I'm going to share a secret with you and your audience. I I really didn't have the grades to get me into the University of Arizona. I was having too much fun in high school and just goofing around. But um, my dedicated Spanish teacher wrote me a college recommendation letter, along with the late principal, Norman Schmidt, Now, I was not an honor roll kid. I was in student government and a tri-letterman, but I wasn't that kind of guy. And the fact that they believed in me got me into college. And if you don't believe in sort of trajectories, if that didn't happen, it wouldn't have parlayed to the people that I met to get me to Costa Rica. And so I had to pay it forward. 
And so what could I do where I could feel comfortable with it? Because I don't want to pay to play or I don't want to offer something that may not have value. And so once again, the easiest decisions is putting yourself in your own shoes. I saw myself in these individuals that did not grow up learning German, French, or Spanish, learn that second language like Richard did. And I'm going to pay for your books freshman year. Why? Why not? I can afford it. And I want to. And it's not that my name's on the scholarship. I'm just trying to show everybody without Abington High School, this would have never happened. And you're not going to believe this, Ahad. Check this out. I'm part of the 2023 Hall of Fame class. I just flew back to Philadelphia a couple months ago. Oh, congratulations. And I got in for business. Now, I'm with some amazing people. Steven Schwartzman from Blackstone Group. I'm with Amor Bose, the guy that created the amazing ad sets. And, you know, Ashton Carter, the Secretary of Defense for the United States. I don't know if you ever saw America's Funniest Home Videos, but Bob Saget went to my high school. And Michael Buffer, oh. let's get ready to rumble. Eddie George, the football legend, Sean Wooden from my year, who played in the NFL as well. So the fact that they put my name with these other amazing alumni, and there's so many others as well, that's more than humbling. And part of that community, they raised me. And all I want to do is make them proud. And I just don't live vicariously through high school. I don't wear my letterman's jacket and pretend like I'm 16 but something happened during those years. It's transformative. It was a coming of age. I was set for life by those that I surrounded myself with, the most incredible friends of mine from my youth and the most incredible teachers. I'm not, and I'm not afraid to say it, really. And I love having alliances and, and, and showing long-term relationships to things because I, I really... It shows character in, in people that they believe in something enough to, once again, when they have the leverage and they're capable to do. And so it is more than my pleasure to do these sort of things. Oh, I, I think it's wonderful. And, and enabling anyone to learn a new language is like opening a new door or opening a new, giving them a third eye. It's like they've never seen the world like this, and now they're seeing it in a completely different manner. I really, really respect that, Richard. And on that note, I really would like to close this podcast because I don't think there's any better way. I think it's been a wonderful conversation. I have had so much fun. I got to learn so much. And before I say goodbye to you and to everyone who is listening, do you have anything to say? I always have something to say. You know that. First, my friend, I can't thank you enough for having me a guest. I really enjoyed my time with you. And my one final thought for your audience is, is just not to be hard on yourself, okay? When you look in the mirror at the end of the day, be proud, regardless of the outcome. Now, you did things with the most honorable intentions. And so it's nice to live life without a heavy heart. And if you can find that, then I, I think you'll be much more happier person. And that's so cool. that's my final thought for today. Wonderful words. Thank you so much, Richard, for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And I wish you guys a wonderful weekend. Bye-bye. Bye now.